630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hey, hope you had a great Christmas. We have a gift for you tonight. We look back on some of our best interviews in 2020 here on Inside Sports, and we kick it off with an all-time legend, the Giz, Henry Williams. We caught up with him in November in the week leading up to what would have been the Grey Cup. You know, the Giz now works as a personal trainer. Uh, the first thing I start off is trying to get their mind focused on it first, make a commitment uh, coming in there all the time. So if I put you on a program uh, three days a week, I want you to tr- make a commitment of coming in. And don't worry about trying to lose the weight and uh you know, and all that kind of stuff. The main thing you want to do is focus on your mind and getting yourself together first. And I want, I figure once you get that, then everything else going to fall into place. Everybody say, I'm a great motivation, but I think you motivate yourself when you put yourself in that position and say, you know what, I want to dedicate myself to doing this. And a lot of people ask me, they say, what, what made you stay in the fitness so long? I said, well, you know, I did it for 18 years for somebody else because if I didn't get in shape, you know, I wasn't going to make the team. So I figured, you know, I felt good doing it when I was playing football. Why come? Why I can't do it for myself right now. What's the connection between fitness and weight? In our society, do we put too much emphasis on on weight, or what's the connection in your mind? On the weight? What do you mean, weight training or putting the weight on? No, like like how, how much you weigh. I mean, people like because you said, oh, well, God, people yeah. want to lose weight, but you said, well, maybe don't don't always think about that. No, don't always focus on that right now. Focus on trying to get your, your – the main thing you want to focus on is trying to get yourself feeling good. Once you feel good, the weight's going to come off by itself. You see what I'm saying? If you're not feeling good, you ain't going to never lose the weight because your mind controls your body. When you're not doing things like that, that's what ends up happening. So I think the most important thing, don't worry about trying to come to the gym, what you look like, and people going to look at me. You worry about how you feel because how you feel is the most important thing. It ain't what other people see in you. It's what you see. When people come to me and say, you know, this is what I want to do. I say, you know what? I'm not going to do this. This is for you. This is all about you. Giz, you spend a lot of your life helping other people feel healthy, but I know from seeing you around the rec center, you're, you're still in awesome shape yourself. How much, how often do you train and what kind of stuff do you do now? I, I still do it. Uh, I don't do as much as I do when I play football. I, I try to get more running in. Now, I like a little bit more running a little bit. I like my cardio more than anything. Weights now, I'm not in there to try to lift the whole gym again. So what I'm doing now, I just maintain everything. So I like to set up a program where I do a circuit training, where I do di- eight different exercises. takes about 45 to 50 minutes. And then after that, I like to put in about 20 minutes of cardio. So that's What's my- your du- Go ahead. Sorry, what's your what's your diet like? I don't really look at a diet that much. For me, I just try to eat a little bit healthier. I still like my junk food sometimes. The main thing is I try not to eat too late at night, and I try to eat a lot of fruit and vegetables because that's one of the things that it's a lot of fiber in it, and it helps break down the food and, you know, your digest system and make you go to the bathroom a lot and drink a lot and drink a lot of water. That's one of the main important things. I tell clients, don't worry about too much of the diet, not unless you're really, really obese or something, then you have to really go on a diet. But most of the time, I just try to tell them, drink a lot of water, eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, and try not to eat too late at night. That's the main thing. Because once you eat late at night, that food that you eat there, that you eat supper right about 5 o'clock. Okay, that's a good time, 5 or 6 o'clock. Then you turn around, and then late on that night, everybody get the munch and say, okay, I want to have me a sandwich or something around about 8 or 9 o'clock before I go to bed. You don't understand. The food that you ate at 5 or 6 o'clock is in the storage part, so your body trying to break that down, okay, for tomorrow. 
if you eat something else after that within the next three or four hours, that food just going to sit in your stomach. That's why some people wake up in the morning and say, oh, sometimes I get up in the morning, I feel upset because the food that you ate at 5 o'clock is, is trying to process itself and break itself down. The food that you ate at 9 o'clock is just sitting there. So it's just going to store it fat, so it's going to go in your stomach. It's going to find places, you know, they can go and, and you know, put the weight on. Giz, I, 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 I love talking to you about that because you're so passionate about it. I, I, I am going to get to football, but I do want to give you one more just sort of fitness topic question. Like, you're, you're such an energetic guy. You're such a positive person. To me, this is like the perfect job for you because it's, it's, it's physical and, and you're so good at connecting with people. And there must be so many success stories where you work with somebody for, I don't know, three, six months or, or a year. And, and they can say, like, Giz, look, look, you know, you can actually see the, the progress and how much healthier you made someone feel. Oh, God, I have people. I haven't had so many people come in. I work with all. A lot of trainers don't like to take on. Um, I would say people like with Parkinson, MS, you know, things like that. My goal is I, an athlete that's easy to train to me. You see what I'm saying? Because they already know what it takes to get there. I like the people that come to me, just an everyday person, saying, you know, I want to get in shape and fit. Those are the ones I like because that gives me something. If somebody comes to me with pain or something, something that, you know, oh, I, I'm, I had this problem for so long. Those are the kind of people I like working with because I know there's a way that you can get in shape and you can get focused and you can get yourself back on the ball the way you want to go. But if you're trying to put yourself in a position, the main thing, you have to focus on your mind first. Focus on your mind. Why is I'm doing this? Why, you know, you can work for your company for 30 years. You know, you can work for something somebody else for, you know, and you, and you put in nine or eight hours a day. When? You're going to figure out, you're going to put something in for yourself. When are you going to do something for yourself? And that's what I always tell people. Don't worry about, you know, what I did later, what I used to look like. How are you going to feel now down the road? So the obvious of putting yourself together now is what's going to make you feel like later down the road. You know, those are things that are going to keep you going. Like I can still, I can't run as fast as I used to run. I can lift almost the same weight that I was lifting because I'm maintaining everything. But the most important thing, I felt good when I was doing it. You know, when I was training football, why come I can't still feel the same way now? That's my motivation. Everybody said, are you getting ready to play football again? No. (laughs) This is the way I I felt when I was training, when I was playing football. So this is the way I like feeling all the time now. Gizmo Williams joins kind of inside sports. Okay, transitioning to football a little bit, and I'll kind of combine the two topics here. From, From your playing days in green and gold, who was who was a teammate that you always admired for how they kept themselves in in great physical shape? I know I know every athlete has to do it, but there were was there a guy where you thought, man, this this guy uh, this guy's got it going on here? You know, one of, one of the guys with me, you know, that I, I trained with a lot. One of them was uh, Willie Plath. He trained a lot of times with me, the linebacker Willie Plath, who won the MVP for five years in a row, linebacker. You know, Willie Press was one of those guys who maintained his body really good. And then I look at a guy like, um, if you watch Damon Allen, who played for so many years too, Damon Allen was the type of guy, he always came in, you know, pretty good shape and always had a great year. Guys like that, those are the kind of guys that motivate you. You know, watching a guy like Brian Kelly, his off-season workout. You know, when I first came here, Brian was in his, I think probably about in his uh, ninth or tenth year, 
and then I watch him the way he trained all the time and, you know, to keep yourself in shape. And, and you know, as a rookie, you, you sit there and say, you know, would I be able to play that long or keep myself in shape like that? But you watch how these guys go through and then you decide to say, you know, this is what I want to be. I want to be like these guys. I want to go. I want to come in on top and I want to go out on top. And watching guys like those guys, those were some of the guys that I like, you know, watching. More with Henry Gizmo Williams when we get back. Best of Inside Sports 2020. Reed Wilkins with you tonight. Hope you had a great Christmas. Henry Gizmo Williams joined us in mid-November in what would have been the lead-up to the Grey Cup. The Giz, of course, a legendary moment in the Grey Cup in 1987. He ran a missed field goal back for a touchdown. The, the thing I remember about that, that, that game and the Grey Cup, I remember when we went there in 86, in 1986, and um, we lost the Grey Cup then. You know, we went there and we lost. That was my first year here in Edmonton. That was one of the big, one of my first big championship games. And I kept saying to myself, man, I wish I had, op- I hope I get an opportunity to go back and play in that game again. And unfortunately, though, God answered my prayer. We got a chance to go back in 1987. The thing I remember about the game when I was running Lancaster, he was a coach at the time. I'm sorry, Joe Fergeller was the coach at the time because Jackie Parker started off, then he got sick. He had to leave and Joe Fergeller came in. All I remember Joe telling us in the locker room is that, guys, when you get to this position in your life, in one of these games, if you don't win it, it don't mean nothing. All that hard work that you put in and all the, the sweat, the tears, and crying, and, you know, and all that, he said don't mean that if you don't win it. So don't walk out of this locker room if you don't want to win. And he said for the guys who were here last year when we lost it, you know what the feeling's like. When I got on that football field, I kept saying to myself, and I remember the coach always say, do your part. Don't worry about nobody else's part. Do your part, and, and whatever you do, try to put yourself – put the team in a position to win the game. And as I was thinking about that when I was on the football field the whole time, I didn't know I was going to run a punt return back. I mean, a missed field goal back. I kept saying to myself, if I can keep the ball in good field position for us, you know, we had two, we had three quarterbacks at the end, and they all in the Hall of Fame. Matt Dunnick can start the game off. He got hurt. David Allen came in and finished the game. And we also had Trace the Ham as a rookie, you know, in case something happened. And all I kept saying to myself, man, if I can just keep this ball in good field position, and I never get talking to Damon, Damon forget, do like you've been doing all year long. Keep me in good field position, I'll put points on the board. And I can never forget when that, that one thing I remember about that punt return is when Hanker listens, I always watch, I mean, uh, Lance Charman, always watch guys when they're kicking the ball, you know, during the halftime or right before the game, I try to watch that and see what they try to do and how they like, you know, some guys like to kick to the right side. Some guys like to kick to the left. Some guys, you know, they play, they, they, the, the um, kickers play their ball like a, a golfer. They like to fade the ball coming in from the right or they like to fade it. So as I was watching Hank, I noticed Hank, as he kicked the ball, he liked to always kick it to the left side and bring it in from the right. On my first, or if you go back and look at that, uh, kickoff, if you go back and look at the 1987, that first missed miss field goal, he missed the first one on the left side. I didn't run that one as far as back, you know, as normal. And then the second one, he faded, but it came all the way to the right side this time. He tried to put, he tried to bring it in, and it came all the way to the right side. As I caught the ball from the left side of the football field, the first guy come down, Randy Abosby, he still talk about this, <laughs> the commissioner. <laughs> and I'm looking at it, I go, ain't nowhere in the hell I'm going to let this lineman stop me. You know, he's the first <laughs> That lineman come down. And I figure, once you get through that first wave, you got it. 
And all of a sudden, I remember Randy come down. What he was doing, he had good contain because a lot of times what they try to do, they try to make you come in the middle. So what happened, he came down to the outside, but wasn't nobody inside of me. I gave him a little fake outside, and I came back inside, and then I went back outside. And from there, I had a wall of guys. I can, I can, I can name the guys. Larry Ruck, Donnie Wilson, Brian Wallace, Mike McClain, you know, uh, all these guys was leading me up down the sideline. And I never get Stanley Blair hit some guy. I had to jump over him if you watch the film. I jumped over the guy that he hit. And then me and Donnie just running down the field by ourselves. He missed Hank Elizabeth. Hank, I mean, not Hank. Lance Trumbull caught me when he got in the end zone. But he, I, I never forget after the game, he said, Yes, I caught you. I go, Yeah, but after I scored a touchdown, I was tired. <laughs> But it was, well, yeah. It was, Eventually, it was, you got to stop running, and they'll catch you. <laughs> it was one of my greatest. It was one of my greatest moments, you know, in in, in um in one of my football history. The other was in uh, the '96 Great Cup. I did the same thing about ten years later in uh, Hamilton when we played uh, the Toronto Argonauts. I ran a kickoff back in that in the snow game. I ran one back in that in the Great Cup. So I always say to myself, I'm the only guy that ran a public. I mean, a kickoff in one great cup and do it again 10 years later and I do it again against Toronto in 1980 and 1996 1996 <laughs> well I remember that too and that game was crazy because of the snow unfortunately oh. you guys kind of got screwed on a on a call there where Flutie would have oh. fumbled did you did you have to change your shoes or your running style when it was snowing and slippery yeah a lot of times you do you don't overstrive when you're running one thing about when you're playing in the snow, I love the cold weather and the ice that feel when it's slick like that because now it works to the returner advantage because a lot of guys now have to break. When they come down, they have to break down. And once they break down, you can almost run past because now they're trying to reach and grab you a lot of times. That was one of my main things. I really like – I didn't like playing in the cold weather because I was cold, but I like the cold weather and the slip and feel because it was an advantage for me because a lot of times when the guys come down and they break down, that's when I pick up speed because now they can't turn and you can't, you know, a lot of times you can't move, but if you just hit the seam in the cold weather, a lot of times you're going to break. You're most going to get a lot of yards because most of the time the field is too frozen. Guys, they can't turn and do it. Some of the athletes who are 100%, that bring them down to like 60 or 70%. So it was kind of it was kind of nice thing in those kind of conditions. I, I don't think you've ever told me that before. That and when you first said you like cold weather, I was like, wait, what are you talking about? But now I get it. No, because the other guys I, were slipping oh, no, around. And you know what I used to do, too? I used to wet my jersey a lot, too. I told a lot of guys, they go, what do you do? I said, sometimes I wet my jersey when it get real cold. Put a little water on it because it turned to ice and they can't grab it no way because it's slippery. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that, that's, that's uh, all the little tricks, right? That's what I love. All the little things that uh... anything you can do to win the game, I guarantee you, it was it was exciting. The only game I had a problem with, the coldest game that I ever played, and I played in two cold games, a lot of cold games, but the two that I can really remember when I played with the Philadelphia Eagles, we played the New York Giants. It was nine fifty-two, and that was cold. And then the other game, the other game that I remember playing it, we played in the Western Family against Doug Fruit and them in Calgary in nineteen ninety three and it was nine of forty seven. And it was so funny the week before the Great Cup, it, it was nine of forty seven and snoring the whole game they had to stop the game locker they had to go out there and clean the lines off the football field. That's when Doug Flutus hand froze on the ten yard line and he threw the interception. But let me tell you something, I tell everybody this joke, I go, I have never cheered so much for Doug Flutie 
in one of those in, in one of those uh in one of those uh Offense when he was going down the football field, I was so cold. I was like, Doug, get one more first down because I'm freezing. Just get one more first down. <laughs> <laughs> I said, just get one more first down. I'm freezing out here. <laughs> but it was that was one of the coldest games I ever played at the Western Found in 1993. But you, we made a, that, you made a big play in that game by getting the, the no yards penalty to set up the final drive. That was exactly. right? Yeah, the guy came down and hit me. Well, you know what? It was so funny that when you just bring in your view. Made me bring up something about the new rule that came into the game. What happened with the new rules in the game when I was playing football game, and the new rule that they have now? We I helped them vote for the new rule. When I was playing, when I was playing, it was only you get hit a guy. It was only five yards, and the guys used to do that on purpose to me. And they'll come down the football field. And I used to tell the referee all the time, and he said, "Give, ain't nothing we can do." He said, it's five yards. I don't care if it's five yards. The guy intentionally doing it every time, you know, he'll come down the football field and hit me. And that's what the guy said on the news. Uh, I used to hear the Winnipeg Blue Bombers when we used to get ready to play them. They go, how you going to stop Gizmo? He said, well, we don't stop him. We just going to go down and hit him. We'll take five yards, which I don't blame him. I don't blame him. But you know what? To me, that was hurt me because I didn't have opportunity. But uh, now they changed the rule now. If you hit a guy now, it's 15 yards. And... The new rules they have now that when a guy punt the ball, nobody can leave it to the ball that's punt now. See, when I was playing the game, as soon as the ball snapped, you you know you could run down the football field. Can you imagine? I got 26 punt returns now, 28 called back on penalties. Can you imagine that new rule they have now? And the guy that's, you know, you have to hold the ball. You cannot move into the ball that's kicked. God, I probably have 30, 35,000 touchdowns right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Giz, we got to do this again. I, I'm sorry we're running out of time. I'm just going to read you one text I got from a listener who identifies himself as a Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan. And I think you're going to understand the spirit in which this text was sent. This okay. Rough Riders fan says, tell Giz, I think he is a lovely man and an all-time great and that respectfully, I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I tell you the story about Saskatchewan right quick? Yeah, Absolutely. It was a real quick one. So Saskatchewan, that's one of my favorite teams to go play. So I'm playing in Saskatchewan. They fans are just unreal. And me and Damon Allen, we warming up before the game. And this little old lady behind the bench, she kept saying, Gizmo, Gizmo. And Damon Allen said, Giz, go say hi to the old lady. I go, no, I don't talk to fans. He go, man, don't be like that. Go over there and say hi to the lady. So I run over there, and I said, she, she was she was leaning over there. She pointed at me. She said, you Gizmo Will? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you run a touchdown on this football field, I'm going to beat the hell out of you with this cane. <laughs> I know what I used to tell everybody. Damn, now to go, what'd she say? She said, have a nice game. I think I said, you know what? Wouldn't that be nice for me to make the TN, TSN highlight of the night? Henry Gizmo win, runs the touchdown. But wait a minute. Grandmama's beating the shit out of him with a cane in the end zone. That's the Giz, Jake DeBrusque, and Marty Jelena up next. Okay, appreciate you tuning in tonight. Hope you had a really good Christmas, really good Boxing Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day coming up later on this week. And, of course, we're all hoping 2021 will be much better than 2020, betting that it will be for sure. Reed Wilkins with you. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Best of edition of Inside Sports tonight. We look back on some of our favorite interviews from the past year. Jake DeBrusque, the Edmonton kid, recently signed a new deal with the Boston Bruins for two years, spoke to him in late November, shortly after he inked the new contract, and talked to him about being in the bubble for the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs. 
Yeah, it was definitely weird. It felt like uh, almost like one of the, the tournaments that you play when you're like in Bama or Midget, except that it's obviously a different level. And just with the no fans, that was something that um, was definitely different. You know, the only people that were in the rink were either the commentators or, um, you know, Black Aces or uh, other teams, GMs and things like that. So uh, there wasn't a lot of noise out there. It was one of the funny things, too, watching uh, the games after. You know, the only thing that was, um, you know, for sound for us, is, you know, that they pumped crowd noise into sound when you're watching on TV. But for us, it was just it was just the game. So it took everyone, I think, a couple of games to get used to that. It was it was obviously an interesting experience. Like you said, there was uh, times you're going to the elevator, you're seeing guys and you know, teams that you're playing that night or other um, other teams, and um, you know, I think it was. I think the NHL did a great job of obviously keeping it contained and um, you know making sure that we were safe to play. But uh, definitely was a weird experience. You know, it's one of those things that I personally not necessarily don't. I don't want that to happen again. If that makes any sense? But um, you know, there's bigger things than uh, worrying about staying in a hotel for a couple months. <laughs> I wonder too. One of the strange things that happened to the Boston Bruins, because um, was your game one between you guys and Carolina, wasn't it postponed to the following morning because of the five overtime game? Yeah, that was kind of insane. That was uh, that was a little bit different. We were waiting for yeah, because I think they went to what five OTs? Was it five OTs they went to? Yeah, it went five to the fifth overtime. Yeah. yeah, so we're getting like we're getting prepared and stuff like that, and we're kind of watching the game. It's you know it's getting the second and third overtime and. Um, you're trying to time everyone has such routines, right? So you're trying to time, um, you know, what you drink, when you stretch, when you do different things and stuff like that. And, uh, once it got around to the fourth overtime, we're all, we all were just sitting around watching the game at this point, you know, cause we didn't know what was going on. And obviously those, uh, long overtime games, I mean, I don't know any hockey fan that doesn't like watching that. Um, but we didn't know what was going on. They actually had a decision. Uh, I think the NHL was talking with the two teams and, um, you know, it was like, it pretty much was a deadline. I think, oh, if they go into the fifth one, so if it got past the fourth overtime, they were going to uh, obviously postpone it to the next afternoon. But that was definitely a weird experience. I remember talking to Z about it. I was like, have you ever seen anything like this? And uh, he never even went through it. So um, it was good to go through with the boys, I guess. We ended up winning um, the first game. So um, that that definitely was uh, was all good. But, yeah, that was weird. There was another game, too, I think. They, I think they went to third overtime, Tampa and Columbus. And we were like, here's deja vu again, you know. So it was kind of funny. Jake DeBrus from the, the room <laughs> just trying to prepare it's like you know the unknown right well yeah and I, I know athletes are creatures of habits that's the, that's what you guys all tell me anyway <laughs> so anything <laughs> yeah. that throws off the timing right Jake DeBrus joining us at Inside Sports so uh, look just to, just to reflect on that the, the, the tournament a bit more um, you know Tampa Bay which I think has become a rival for you guys two elite teams in the Eastern Conference uh, a five-game series, but but a couple of games um, went to overtime. W- when you look back, what was ultimately the difference? Do you think that, that put the Bolts just a bit ahead of you guys? Yeah, I think that they just got the uh, you know the right balance at the right time. So you need to win playoff series, and um, you know they obviously deserve to win it. And uh, you know all these asterisks and different things. It's arguably the hardest cup to win. I'm not taking anything away from Tampa Bay in that sense, but uh, I think they just scored timely goals. You know, it's one of those things that that's how you win playoff series. I remember. Uh, when we went on our run, uh, we got those kind of run support and those goals at those times, and um, you know, just didn't go our way. And uh, it was obviously unfortunate, and not something that we planned on doing. You know, obviously, like you said, they're they're they've always been at the top of the East and and in our division too. So uh, it's pretty much a marquee matchup, and we obviously want to do better as a squad, but uh, you know, it didn't go our way. 
You know, one thing you guys had to deal with, you know, some players decided not to play, and, and, and you guys, uh, you know, had, had, had the goaltender, Tuka Rask, who decided that, uh, that he was going to opt up. Just, and look, I'm not questioning his decision at all. Everybody has a right to do that. But I'm just wondering how the team um, – uh, I mean, I know he started, then he decided he, he needed to move on to take care of some family issues. Tell me about the team, uh, you know, supporting him and, and dealing with that. Yeah, the team was uh, all for it. I mean, not all. Well, <laughs> I'm not trying to get my words twisted here, but we were we were, we're always with Tuka. You know, we respected his decision, and uh, we had a meeting that that same morning when it kind of happened when he was gone, and uh, just talked about as a team, and we support him no matter what. You know, there is bigger things in hockey, and obviously, you know, fans and people from the outside might not understand that, but um, we're with him through it through it all, and um, you know, it would have been obviously nice to have him on the ice. But I thought uh, Euro played very well, and. Um, you know, it was one of those things where we all just kind of bond together. You know, it was one of those um, times where we didn't know if the media would try to get um, us split up in a way or anything like that. But uh, like I said earlier, we all respected his decision and and uh, we had his back. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Boychuk, you know, I, he's retiring. You mentioned it. I, he was a Bruin, obviously, before you got there, but both from uh, you're both from Edmonton and you mentioned you've seen him a little bit in four-on-four stuff. Just tell me about, a little bit about your relationship with uh, with uh, with Johnny. And, and, I mean, a heck of a career, you know, th- 13 years going to the age of 36, and he would have kept going if not for the, uh, the eye injury. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Johnny's just a great guy. You know, he's really... Um, the first time I ever met him, he came right up to me and started talking to me about Boston, going to places to eat. I think this was like right after I got drafted or maybe the year after. I've only known him for a couple of years, but super approachable guy. And honestly, the game lost a good, a good, good guy today. And, um, you know, actually talked to me. He brought it up to me and I was, <laughs> I was begging him to come back to the Bs. You know, I would love to play with him and everything like that. But, um, you know, obviously, like you said, a great career. He won a cup in Boston. He was a fan favorite there. And, uh, he has some of the best sellies, so I've always loved watching him play with that rocket he's got at the back end. And, um, you know, just a really good guy. Just really approachable and um, treats everyone the same way. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a little weird not seeing him around uh, on, on the ice here. You mentioned as well Big Z, of course, Zdeno Chara, who remains uh, a free agent. He's he's going to the Hall of Fame whenever he uh, whenever he retires after the waiting period. Um, to tell me a little bit about him. I mean, what an incredible career. He's always the the biggest or one of the biggest players in the nhl but he's got a heck of a lot of skill too uh, i enjoyed when you guys played Bo- when you guys played the oilers this season that uh, he and yamamoto who's one of the smallest players in the nhl <laughs> kind of mixed it up a, a little bit uh but just t- take us behind the scenes with with char a, a little bit what's he like as a leader there yeah no he he sets the tone for our team he always has since the first day i got in the camp and uh, obviously he's such a big presence like you said he's pretty big and um you know i think the the one thing that i always talk about with z is uh his preparation you know the things that he has to sacrifice to play at this level because the game is getting faster uh, there's more speed and more skill and um the things that he does to make sure his body is prepped and ready to go is something that i'll take with me and just the overall interactions he has with the guys you know like he, he sets the tone for our team um i think more than people give him credit for and obviously just his presence on the ice you know he can still um, like you said, he's you know he's highly skilled. You got to be highly skilled to play that long in the NHL at this level, right? And you know he's been a top defenseman, shutting down the other guys, uh, the other team's lines, I guess top lines, and um, you know just a matter of just preparation. And the same thing with kind of Johnny. They're kind of similar in a way. You know, obviously just very approachable and uh, really lets you know if you have any questions about anything uh, to do with the team or just in general. He's always there for you, and um, you know he's a guy that I love going to battle with. 
Jake, you're coming off a year. You got into 65 games in a season where, you know, the team didn't play much more than that. You had 19 goals, 16 assists, so pretty solid stats. Uh, you just came to terms on a two-year deal on Monday. I, I, I know I always ask you that one question that's that, that's blunt to the extent that maybe it annoys you a little bit. So here's the one tonight. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you got? <laughs> what, what, what took so long with the contract? What to, What took so long? <laughs> Honestly, a lot of things, man. The pandemic didn't help. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, went into it. I think it's it's been reported now, but we're talking long-term during the year. Um, and then, obviously, like I said, this pandemic thing kind of, um, you know, obviously affects everybody, but affected me as well and the Bruins. And, um, you know, just kind of seemed like it just kept, kept getting pushed back. And then we started talking about a, a short-term deal, and we we're, were just working through the details of that. And, um, you know, very happy and honored to be signed back with them. You know, it's one thing I really wanted. I, lo- I love playing in Boston. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, I was getting asked that a lot, though, Matt. I was getting asked that a lot. But uh, it's the way it is. It's the way the business goes. And also just uh, the real life, uh, you know, the crisis going on. You know, it affects everything, right? Yeah. Well, and and I, I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable spot here. And I know, you know, there's a lot of talking going on. But are you feeling like... Um, like you're ready to go whenever January 1st, January 15th, if, if, if everything's safe, uh, you want to get something figured out here? Uh, yeah, I'm preparing for it. That's, that's the, that's the one way I looked at it. And obviously I just signed on Monday and it kind of moved pretty fast throughout the, I guess last week. Um, so I wanted to be ready just in case, you know, I wanted to be ready just in case it goes to January and, and you know, just as much as I do, you know, there's, there's reports here and there, about when the season's going to start. So, um, you know, obviously you want to be prepared coming into it. Uh, at all costs. That's just, that's just being a good pro. I think anybody would say that, but uh, I've been training to, uh, you know, obviously get back into, into the form because uh, even if we do come back, say January or February, or wherever it is, you know, games are going to be differently scheduled. You know, there's going to be different times. There's going to be different games, probably going to be a lot more back to back. And it's going to be a little bit more, um, you know, grueling on the body. So I've been trying to really prepare that. I took, I took some time off after the bubble and then uh, I've been going pretty hard since then. It's, I've been lucky, I've been able to be on the ice and, and been able to work out and had no issues so far. So, um, you know, hopefully that, that keeps up. There's Jake DeBrusque. Wish him all the best with the Bruins this upcoming NHL season. Okay, we're going to check in with former Edmonton Oiler Marty Jelena when we get back. It was in July that the Hockey Hall of Fame class was announced for 2020. Of course, a lot different this year. They couldn't have the induction ceremony, so that's been postponed. But a couple of uh, a couple of very significant Albertans getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Kevin Lowe, who's been a player, coach, manager with the Edmonton Oilers and also Calgary Flames legend Jerome Aginla voted into the hall. Talk to Marty Jelena about both those players. And, of course, Jelena said Aginla, one of the best power forwards of all time. Oh, there's no question about it. Uh, Jerome, every time that playoff run, uh, he's just every time he was on the ice, he was impactful. He was a difference maker. Uh, he was uh, he was a guy on a on a mission. And uh, there's really two guys. We had a blue collar team. Uh, didn't really belong. Uh, didn't really belong. Uh, I mean, we belong in the playoff, but nobody was expecting us uh, to win. But there's two guys that really made a difference, and is uh, Jerome and and Kipper. And those two guys really, and everybody else, uh, kind of followed the followed the lead. But Jerome was a he was a, a, a man on a, on a mission and a par forward. And when the game was on the line, uh, he stepped up and, and uh, was a difference maker. 
Tell me a little bit about getting to know him as a person. Certainly, he's very well respected. He, he's known in the Edmonton area, be, being from St. Albert. And, you know, he, he always seemed to me, Marty, as one of those guys, you know, he'd be really intense on the ice. And then, you know, there'd be a shot of him on the bench or he'd do a post game interview and he's got the biggest smile on his face that he, uh, he almost just seemed like a, a big kid sometimes, just enjoying playing the game. You know, it's probably one of the classiest guy I, I've played with. Uh, on the ice, you talk about it, and you were bang on. Uh, you wanted to win every shift. You wanted to win every game. You you wanted to take charge. You wanted to lead the way. But off ice, he was just the kindest uh, person that I know. He was uh, he was in, uh, engaged uh, with with the fans he was involved with different charities here in calgary uh so he was a difference maker off the ice too with uh, uh with his personality he's got he's charismatic uh he's got that you always see that big smile and and i always say what you see is what you get that's who he is he's just he treats everybody the the way you like to be treated uh, i think he used the golden rule uh and uh he's uh he's a classy guy Hockey's such a physical game, and, and Jerome scored a lot of his goals, as, as we like to call it, by going to the dirty areas. And I'm just looking over his stats here. I, I mean, really, except for one season, he played 70 or more games every year, and most of the time he played he played all 82. How did he uh, you know, play that style and, and stay healthy? It's, it's not easy to do because it's, it is hard, it is demanding, it's physically... Uh, challenging to play to play that way all the time. Not only playing physical, playing a hard physical game, but uh, dropping the gloves once in a while and and uh, and and doing whatever you needed to do to win. So 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 uh, so it's a quite an accomplishment uh, that he played the way he played for for that long. And uh, when I talked to him maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago. And uh, and we're talking about different sports of what today. He said, you know, I got my hip and and his knees were were aching a little bit. So so uh, his playing career took a toll on his body. No question about it. Martin Jelladin joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Jerome McGinley, who uh, was a teammate for a couple of years with the Calgary Flames, will be going into the Hall of Fame from an Oilers angle. Ken Holland, for his years as GM in Detroit, will go in, and Kevin Lowe, the Oilers all-time leader in games played will go in in november as well and uh, marty when when i reached out to the flames to see if we could get you on tonight i you know figured jerome would have a pretty good chance to go in i I wasn't so sure about kevin lowe but now i get a chance to ask you about that as well because you were uh, a young energetic player who made some pretty important contributions in uh in 1990 on on a veteran team with players like kevin lowe who had who had been there before what do you remember about being Kevin's teammate, especially during that 1990 run. You know what? Uh, there's, there's, uh, you know, I, at that time I couldn't, I, I couldn't speak English, and Kevin could speak French. Uh, and and there's always people that you gravitate and and that you know they're gonna help you out. And and uh, Kevin did that to me. He was. Uh, 
he was always uh, he was always there for, for me. He was all, always uh, helping out. So so that shows you that it's the type of person and 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 that's the type of leadership that Kevin Lowe has. Uh, it's always uh, I was listening to your interview before. It was always about winning and it was always about the team with Kevin. And uh, he he made sure that everybody was included in part of it. And and I'm pretty grateful uh, that I came at a young age in, into a team that was uh, surrounded by great uh, great leadership. But Kevin Lowe was a difference maker. Craig McTavish, I mean, mess and, and the list goes on. But Kevin was was awesome. Well, and it's you know 30 years since that championship, so th- there have been a lot of storytelling about that, and uh, a lot of memories of Bill Ranford and his spectacular goaltending. After a bit of a rocky start against the Jets, but then he was almost unbeatable after uh, about the fourth game of the of the first round. And, and you you played on that that young uh, energetic line, and it just seemed like whenever the Oilers needed to turn the tide a little bit, uh, what was it, you and Murphy and Graves went out there and gave the team a bit, bit of a shot in the arm? Yeah, you know what, it, it just kind of clicked. Uh, it just happened that uh, uh, the team needed a little bit of a spark. you got to realize uh, they had four cups before, did everything, and and, uh, and put a young, uh, young line of, of just kids together that just wanted to, to be a difference maker and play hard and just skate and buzz and that's what we did and I think created some some energy for the rest of the team and and then uh, and then uh, everybody kind of bought in and started playing uh, playing hard and playing the same way uh, so it was a for me I'm, I'm thankful and grateful that uh, I had a chance to to be part of that team and, and winning a Stanley Cup with Edmonton uh, you know I you were talking about playing for a long time after that. Uh, uh, 1,300 games and and, uh, and playoffs and so on, and uh, didn't have a chance to win another one. So pretty thankful that uh, surrounded by some great people in Edmonton, a great team, and, and winning a cup there. Well, we, we should mention, though, I, I mean, you played on some teams that had some deep runs. You, you went to the uh, conference finals with the Oilers a couple of times uh, to Game 7 with Vancouver against the Rangers, uh, Carolina in 02. I want to say Detroit beat you guys in five. I'm trying to remember That's off the top of my head. Is, yeah, good memory. Yeah, you bet. And, and then also the, the game seven with the Flames. So, uh, you know, you didn't quite get as many rings as you would have liked, but you played on some some pretty special teams. And uh, I, I, who, who was, let me ask you this. Who was the, of the other three teams you were with, the Canucks, the Hurricanes, and the Flames, who was the biggest underdog uh, was, in their respective playoffs? It was, uh, well, for what we accomplished, I think it was the Flames. Uh, we were just a blue-colored uh, blue collar team and and uh, and just kind of kind of snowball after we beat uh, we beat Vancouver in the first round. If you take the 1994 our team in Vancouver, uh, we were on their dog, but but still had Pavel Bure and Trevor Linden and and Kurt McLean, and we still had some good good players. Uh, in in uh, for for Calgary, we I mean we were just a, a, a lunch bucket type of team just kind of work hard and got some breaks and we play the right way and and so on so i think uh that was the team that was more underdog in 2002 in carolina uh we still had some decent pieces i mean you had ronnie francis and rod brandon moore and 
and Arthur Zerbe, and the, the list goes on and on. So we still had a good team there too. Um, but other teams, that was the era where there's no salary cap too. So so 1994 is no salary cap. So uh, so it's quite an accomplishment to uh, uh, to go seven games against uh, against the Rangers. Okay, good to catch up with Marty Jelena. Best of Inside Sports 2020 edition on 6:30. Chat. 6:30. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at six on 6:30. Chad.